My name is Gary Oppenheimer. I'm the founder and executive director of a nationwide hunger food waste nonprofit called ampleharvest.org. And yes, that's the real name of the organization. And um, I beat the often path by deciding that I could change the future of the health and the effectively the wealth of the country by creating a nonprofit, creating a program that nobody had ever done before, solving a problem of hunger and food waste as an information thing rather than as a food thing. And I did it when nobody had ever done it before. So I had to forge my own trail and I had no idea what I was doing, but I managed to hit a moving target in the fog at night. Um, I'm also almost 70 years old. I should be spending my time biking across America. And instead, I'm spending my time talking to people across America and having a wonderful time doing it, meeting amazing people. Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. On this show, we showcase unusual success stories, people who have lived their lives and careers outside the box to remind us all that there's more to this life and that more possibilities are out there than the straight and narrow path we've been taught since school. Today, my guest is Gary Oppenheimer. Now, Gary is a man who walks the walk and talks the talk. Gary is the founder of ampleharvest.org, an organization that links the millions of amateur gardeners to local food pantries. Have you ever had a few too many tomatoes in your garden? Maybe you just threw them away? Do you know someone with an extra basket of zucchini every fall? Well, ampleharvest.org makes it incredibly easy to make sure that your excess food doesn't go to waste. Food waste is one of the defining problems of our time, and Gary Oppenheimer has made it his life's work to solve this problem. His efforts have landed him on CNN, in the White House, with two different sitting presidents, on TEDx multiple times and more, and he was even featured in a shout-out from Michelle Obama herself. So I support everything about this man's journey. It's no secret. I'm pleased to introduce you to Gary Oppenheimer. Well, that's a very a great way to start. And I should let our listeners know that right before we started recording, you had told me the ultimate flex that I wasn't allowed to refer to your organization in the way that Michelle Obama had. <laughs> Not many people can utter a sentence like that, period. Uh, I have never spoken with a former first lady, but that just speaks to how far and wide your message has gotten. Yeah, we were privileged to work with the Obama White House and we're now working with the Biden White House on, on the uh, ampleharvest.org. Michelle Obama in the Obama years ran a program called Let's Move, which encouraged people to both eat more healthy food and to exercise and move. And it was in natural alignment with what ampleharvest.org does of helping fresh food get to food pantries. And I was thrilled that she included ampleharvest.org in a talk she gave and she also included a, an uh, outtake in her book, American Grown. But in both cases, she used the term ample harvest. Mm. Our name is ample harvest, but I did decide out of respect and wisdom to let her get away with it. But nobody else does. But nobody else. Well, I hope nobody we else. won't make the same mistake. And I'll be a lot more approachable if I do. <laughs> you okay. won't have to get through staffers to reach me in case we make a blunder or a gaffe throughout this show. But again, it does speak to how amazing your idea is and you have certainly received your fair share of accolades tedx twice numerous different achievements throughout the years you've been at this for quite some time and people are taking notice 
Can you perhaps just enlighten us on what the issue is that you've been trying to solve with your very engaging intro? I'm very curious how you stumbled upon this issue and your solution to it. All right. Um, let me tell you what we are, and I'll tell you, then I'll go back to that intro that we talked about. But um, I hate waste. I grew up uh, as a child being told, finish what's on your plate, kids are starving in Europe. And so built into my DNA is you don't waste food, time, energy, money. You don't waste. Use what you have. And I became aware 13, 14 years ago of the immense amount of waste of food in this country. My own garden uh, was vastly overproducing. And there came a point in which my wife said, you're not bringing any more of that stuff in the house. And so I didn't want it to go to waste. So I went out to find a place to which I could donate it. There was a battered woman's shelter in my town. And I did take it there. And I learned a little bit about what they don't get typically, which is fresh food. Um, I also was asked to take over a community garden at the time in my town. And the people there, this was in 2008 when I took over the garden, uh, the people there were complaining to me that they hated the idea that food was being wasted in the garden towards the end of the season. People were bored, overwhelmed, going on vacation. And I just uttered, if we're going to have an ample harvest, although I was the only time I said that word, if we're going to have an Never ample again. harvest, uh, the least we can do is get to people who really need it. And that was the birth of a program that we built in that community garden to get food from the garden to local food pantries. Now, I didn't invent something new there. Many people, many programs across the country have been and are uh, making sure that food in a community garden gets to local food programs. However, what I realized was that it wasn't me having the problem and it wasn't my community garden having the problem. It was every gardener like me and every community in the country having the same problem. This wasn't my problem. This was a national problem, but it was also a national opportunity because um, that food I knew would be nourishing the people in my community. I had realized that I'd been, we've all been told you're not allowed to donate the food. We've all heard the mantra of jars, cans, boxes, no fresh food at food Absolutely. drives. Absolutely, yes. So we've all, as gardeners, been told you can't do that. So either force our neighbors who don't really want it, take it to the office or let it rot. Yep. Meanwhile, there are families in your neighborhood, families in community that really, really could use that, that food. What I had come to realize uh, in March of 09 was two things. A, this was a misinformation problem. You can't donate the food. It was also a missing information problem. I don't know where to donate it and when. I happened to have been connected to the battered woman shelter because I knew the woman who ran it. But when I went on Google and said, find me all the food pantries in my town, which is something I had done to try to do for the community garden, Google said the nearest one was 25 miles away, which I knew was wrong. This was an information problem. This is not a food problem. And technology is great at solving information problems. I had to take a step backwards from where we were. We think about food problems as being solved with more food. You have the food, you do something with it. But in this case, it wasn't a problem of a lack of food in America. We throw away 40% of our food and 50% of our produce. How can more food be the issue? The problem was we weren't using the food we actually already have. So I woke up one morning, I think it was March 9 of 09, and I had an epiphany. And I sat down at my computer and brought a PowerPoint. I like to think through there. And I mapped out what 
I thought would be a solution. Now, my background, just so you know, I was an early, uh, back in the 70s, I was a computer program, what we then called um, mini computers and the microcomputers and the personal computers. So I have a background in technology and in problem solving and coming up with new ways to connect things. For example, I invented the electronic newsletter. I did not invent spam. That was somebody else, but I did invent the electronic newsletter. And wow. I think it was 86. Um, and there've been other things. So I mapped out an idea and I realized that the two problems to be solved were a, I already said, we thought we couldn't donate the food. So the one thing is to tell people you can. And the second thing is how to find a food pantry. It required a search engine. So I um, mapped this whole thing out and I said, this makes a lot of sense. I found two amazing volunteer programmers, one of whom herself was a food pantry client. Mm. I said, this is my vision. This is what we should be doing. And they helped build um, the Ample Harvest Dog website as it existed back then. And um, we launched it on May 18th of 2009. At that point, they were done. And this is now all on me, an aging geek with a good idea. There was no nonprofit. There was no organizational structure. There was no staff. But I was a guy on a mission. And um, the very, very first thing I did was I called up Catholic charities. Now, I'm not Catholic, but I know that basically when the Pope says something, every, all the Catholics in the world hear it. I said, I've got a program, and I'd love for all the food pantries and all the Catholic churches to learn about this. I sent them information, and I think four days later, every diocese in the country had information. Pantries started signing up. The food uh, pantry search engines started to get built and populated. I started speaking to the folks at Feeding America and different people, all in all, it grew and it grew and it grew because I couldn't talk to gardeners until they had a place to, to which they could donate the food. Uh, 150 days later, which happened to be World Food Day, pure coincidence, the 1,000th food pantry in, in America had signed up on ampleharvest.org. Meanwhile, I would, I'm sorry. Incredible, 150 days to 1,000? Yeah, it spoke to both the need that was out there and the fact that this was an idea long overdue. Now, Clearly. admittedly, this is not rocket science. Anybody could have come up with the idea. And speaking to the to you know what your show is all about, maybe other people came up with the idea, but I acted on it. Having a good idea isn't enough if you just let it it become dust off into the ethos and the universe. But if you do something with it, and I did, I had the energy, I had the time, I had the um, technology background, and I ran with it. I started, um, I set up Google alerts, and I had Google telling me every day when reporters were talking about hunger and things. I was making emails and phone calls to reporters daily about, got this great thing, got a great story, I could press stuff together for them. And I started working with the uh, with gardeners across the country, and I had the wonderful opportunity, I should say gift, I think is the better word, that I was introduced to a wonderful, wonderful guy who's still a dear friend at the USDA named Bill Hoffman. Bill was the guy in charge of all the master gardeners in America. And he loved this idea. And I sent him a piece. He sent it out to all the master gardeners. It started to take off, not because I'm a, a, a celebrity, not because I'm a gazillionaire. It's because it was a, both a simple, easy to implement idea and it empowered anybody anywhere in America to be the agent for change in their own community, reaching into their own backyard instead of their back pocket to help their neighbors in need. 
In 2009, by the way, we really weren't yet much talking about climate change. Now we are. But the waste of food is the number three contributor to climate change. So not only was this about reducing hunger and reducing malnutrition, but in the long run, it had an impact on it has an impact on reducing climate change in America. Uh, about 11 months after I founded it, April 2010, I incorporated as a 501c3 nonprofit with the legal name of Ample Harvest Org, because it turns out the IRS doesn't like punctuation in the names. So while the IRS is ampleharvest.org, for everybody else is ampleharvest.org, um, okay. but we incorporated as a nonprofit, and I was able to bring in people who started working with me to help. Also in April 2010, I was named CNN Hero. I saw that. And um, Congratulations. Thank you. One of the interesting things that came out of it, and I read it on the air, was when they were running the uh, CNN Hero uh, videos during the week, somebody had emailed me. And I read this on the air when Ali Vichelis actually interviewed me. And he said that um, that the year before he had heard about ampleharvest.org, he had thrown away eight 55-gallon drum of grapefruit from his property. He would have loved to have donated, but he didn't know that he could or to where. Um, I also then wrote out wrote to the White House. I said, um, I've got this great program. I, you know, Michelle Obama is doing this wonderful work. I'd love to work with her. And somebody at the White House said, yeah, go away. I mean, not that way, but they said, yeah, she's busy. She can't help you. But through the USDA and Bill Hoffman, ampleharvest.org ended up on the USDA uh, website, the homepage, actually. And then it ended up on the White House website. So, by the way, you can if you want, go to ampleharvest.org slash White House, you'll actually see Michelle Obama speaking, the piece of a book, and I think the picture of the homepage. Um, the program continued to grow. Um, I should say, by the way, Google came on board early in the, I think within eight weeks of Ample Harvest.org's launch, I got a $10,000 a month, month over month grant from Google for advertising, which has since quadrupled to 40 grand a month ongoing. So Google is a huge hero in this country for reducing hunger, malnutrition, and the waste of food, because we get to use that platform to tell people, uh, gardeners, uh, for example, about uh, what we're doing. Over time, I was able to raise some money, got some staff in. More and more people took interest. There were more um, uh, write-ups, more shows, more articles. Um, uh, I was named Huff, uh, Huffington Post Game Changer 2011. Uh, I, I think uh, Yahoo named me the greatest person of the day, which really annoyed my wife because she thinks my head's already big enough. Um, <laughs> I was nominated for the World Food Prize. All these wonderful accolades. Thank you. But the real heroes are the gardeners. And I make the argument that when you see an orchestra playing, you see the person in the tuxedo, they're waving the stick, but it's the musicians actually making the music. Everybody applauds the, the, the conductor, but it's really the musicians who earn it. I'm the face, I get the accolades, but it should really be the 62 million people in this, in this country who garden in their backyard or in a community garden or in a flower pot they're the um, uh, real heroes. So the program has continued to grow. Today, <clears throat> I'm sorry, today we are in 4,200 communities in all 50 states, working with 8,000 and growing food pantries. Um, we are um, right now working on building a special adaptation to make it a really great fit for Indian country, for Native American reservations across the country, because there are some adaptations we need to make to make ample harvest out of work 
um, um, in that environment. Mm. I should say when the pandemic started, um, we got a, uh, a gentleman uh, named Mike Sutter reached out to us. He's the CEO of Bonnie Plants. And if you're not familiar with Bonnie Plants, um, this is their stuff. They're the largest provider of seedlings in America. So when you go to a garden center or your supermarket and you want to buy a tomato plant, a pepper plant, it's probably Bonnie Plants. And they said, okay. we love what you're doing. We want to work with you. We want to help. And they made a really, really generous contribution to Ample Harvest. They got involved full uh, all the way. And that is a major thing that moved Ample Harvest.org forward. And much more recently, a brand new partnership with the Home Depot. And so, within a few weeks, every Home Depot store, all 2,000 nationwide, are going to be having point of sale information in the garden centers about donating <clears throat> um, um, uh, garden produce. The basic premise of the whole thing is a built on a theory of change that I have, which is that to solve a problem, you find people who really care about it, in this case, the gardeners, you give them information, you give them technology to solve it and get out of their way. So we have no logistics. We never touch the food. I'm making sure that you know that you can donate the food. I'm presenting you to a place that to where you can donate the food. And by the way, the pantry is telling you the ideal day and time to donate. Why? Because if they're distributing food on, say, Sunday afternoons, and you show up with your lettuce on Monday, that's either going to be in a refrigerator, which is costly, or just going to wilt. But if they said we're distributing food on Sunday afternoon, we'd like you to come Sunday morning. Now you know when to harvest. You come in with that fresh food. You put it on the table. Hours later, it's gone home to a hungry family, and they're eating food fresh than you and I can buy in the supermarket. And for the rest of the gardener's gardening life, they will be donating when they have a surplus to that food pantry. So we have no logistics. Um, we're actually a team of only five staff. Wow. Orchestrating this large scale change because, again, the problem wasn't the food. It was missing information and misinformation. I love that. Sampleharvest.org. It's, it's a brilliant concept. You, you mentioned so 40% of all food, 50% of produce gets thrown away. Do you think part of that has to do with this country's strange relationship to what is called food safety? I just saw a video of a grocery store where the power went out for, let's say, one hour. And there was a video of just tons and tons and tons of food, perfectly good food, if we're being honest, that had to be thrown out, all of it, because they lost refrigeration for a single hour. Do you think that we're too strict in this country about the kind of food that we can accept and where we can accept it? and Or do you think that those laws are justified? Let me start by saying I am not a lawyer, and I'm not going to give any legal opinion. Sure. But I'm, 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 uh, there is a, uh, a, a gentleman named Tristan Stewart, who is sort of the global expert on the waste of food. He's a dear friend. He's from the UK. He's on our board of advisors. And he has properly advocated that we are all equipped with the brilliant, amazing technology to detect food that you shouldn't be eating. And it's your nose. If it doesn't smell good, if it doesn't look good, maybe if it doesn't taste good, don't eat it. Now, I don't know what food they were throwing away. If the ice cream was melting or the dairy was going bad, sure. Frankly, if it was a, thing, a long shelf life, things like carrots and onions, potatoes, leave, leave them alone. But the bigger, I, I wouldn't be looking at businesses that are responding to something like that and for their own safety and maybe their customer safety disposing of food. Um, 
the major loss of food in this ha country happens because of people like you and me and everybody else. Um, the problem is that we go to a restaurant and the portion size is too big or at home we have we we have too much uh we buy too much um um i have a friend who is frightened of me because she will buy a sandwich and only eat half and she knows that i'll be glaring at her for the rest of the day if she doesn't finish the other half or at least take yeah. it home or whatever we all waste food businesses certainly do um, um farms have food loss stores I'm, i mean there's food loss all the way but I think the easiest place to look at food loss and the easiest place to fix the waste of food is with us. So let me take you to another program that ampleharvest.org has that speaks to that very issue. And it's built on one idea. 70% of America's food pantries are in a house of worship. Huh. They're in a church or a synagogue or a mosque. And um, 2016, we're having our weekly staff meeting and my, my mind started to wander. And that's not a good sign when you're running a meeting and your own mind wanders, but that's what happened. And I said to my staff, 70% of food pantries are in house of worship. We had informal partnerships with the faith community across the board. I mean, I started outreach with the Catholic charities, but we've worked with all faiths. But I said, we're missing an opportunity and we should take advantage of it. Look at our theory of change, find people who care about something, give them information, give them a tool and get out of their way. I said, what if we went to faith leaders across the country, pastors, rabbis, imams, priests, and gave them basic information about food waste, the USDA stuff, refed, all the basic stuff. And then what if we gave them a sermon written in their own faith tradition and then gave them nine calls to action that they could talk about with their congregation? Wow. What if instead of a priest or an imam talking about feeding the hungry, feeding the poor, as part of that discussion, they could talk about what their own scriptures, their own traditions, their own values say about not wasting food. The discussion of the waste of food actually occurs in all faiths, but it's overlooked, which, by the way, is the third piece of the information issue. In that case, it's misinformation. I'll give you an example. Look in the Old Testament, um, book of Exodus, Hebrews are leaving Egypt, and Moses says, we need manna to feed the people, and God says, I'm going to give you manna, but don't take more than one day's portion, because if you do, it'll rot. That's a food waste discussion in black and white, but you almost never hear anybody talking about it that way. So what we did is uh, we wrote a faithy sounding but faithless sermon about the waste of food. Then we gave it to a partner program at the time called Green Faith, and they translated it into Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, Unitarian. The same sermon with a different spin for each of the religions. We created nine calls to action. Of course, the first one is gardeners donating food. But it was also portion sizes on your plate. It was learning about date labeling. It was learning about not shopping without a list. The things that you and I and everybody else can, can do. And uh, we even did a game show for the religious school and we put it up and today it's called faithfightsfoodwaste.org hmm. where anybody can go, whether you are a, a faith leader or a person of faith, 88 million people a week in America go to a house of worship voluntarily to listen to their faith leader talk about something they both 
agree in whatever that faith tradition is. These 88 million people are not listening to wonks like me or the other food waste people because they just want to pay the bills, keep the kids out of trouble and not get COVID. But they are going to the house of worship. So it was a great way to not only get the message to the um, 40%, 50% of the people in the pews who are gardeners, but for us to go right back to the pastor and to say, is there a food pantry in your house of worship? Have them sign up. The same theory of change, except, and it, so it elevated Ample Harvest.org's mission. It actually provided a benefit for all of the people in the food waste space also. And it was, again, built around the same um, um, idea. So this was a natural evolution. And I want to be clear again, we're not a faith-based organization. We don't advocate faith. We don't advocate push any faith. This is if you are connected with a faith community, this is a connection for you. And the program that we're now working on for Indian country to help uh, tribal communities across the country benefit from ampleharvest.org is built on the ampleharvest.org model and just adapted to special circumstances there. Absolutely brilliant. I'm blown away. That's such a clever solution to distributing. I mean, you've had a number of clever solutions. That's something that's quite striking about your progress. You've reached out to the right people at the right time. That's very fascinating how you chose to disseminate your idea throughout the world, and you used a combination of data and intelligence to do that, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, there are wonderful people all across America. And by the way, our focus is the 50 states. So, yeah, Faith Fights Food Waste can be used globally, but Ample Harvest the Gardener thing is only in 50 states. There are lots of wonderful people and programs doing great work, and they're all across the country in many, many, many communities. But most of the country isn't doesn't see them. So uh, I do tell people, and it's not frequently asked questions. If you already are working with 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 Plant Row or America's Grow or some other food recovery or rescue groups, keep doing it. We don't want to interfere with that. We want to be in the places where nobody else is. It's sort of like when you want to buy a book, you should go to the bookstore in your town to buy the book. But if you don't have a bookstore, then you go to Amazon. Yep. You working locally. So uh, we blanket the country. The model of ample harvest is that because I don't need boots on the I want to reframe that. I don't need to put boots on the ground because the boots are already there. The gardener is already in the community. The food pantries are in the community. I have to simply get them uh, uh, connected with each other. So we can scale into any community real time. And so the number of communities we're in continues to grow. The number of food pantries and our network continues to grow. And the number of gardeners who are learning about their opportunity to donate continues to grow. And by the way, and this is a terrible thing to say during a pandemic, but Ample Harvest Network is viral. And the reason is that once I tell Ross that he can donate food from his garden to a food pantry down the street, you've heard of Ample Harvest.org, you learned about, you no longer need us, by the way, because your misinformation and missing information problems have been solved for the rest of your life. But now your neighbor over the picket fence is talking about too many zucchini in their garden, and you're in the position to say, St. Mary's Food Pantry takes the food Wednesday afternoons. They've never heard of Ample Harvest.org. They never need to because you've become the vector for the information. So the result is by uh, you learning about Ample Harvest through whatever way, it spreads through you. Ultimately, every gardener in America will know that they can donate food, just like everybody in America knows that you don't throw away the old winter coat, you give it to a thrift shop. I think it's such a great, great, great model. Obviously, everybody listening to this will now be aware 
I think it's super encouraging for me to hear that 60 million some people are gardening in this country. That's higher than I would have guessed if you hadn't told me. And what, what does that put it about? 15% of all Americans are uh, whatever the gardening math is. in some I capacity? Mean, I should tell you that pre-pandemic was 42 million. So people were but looking when for the a hobby. Well, they were looking for a few things. I want to remind everybody when the pandemic started, our food system got wobbly. Not only toilet paper was missing in stores, but people were nervous about the supply of food. So for those people who had a backyard or had sun and whatever, millions of people said, I'm going to garden. They also were no longer going to work. They were working from home. So they had 10 hours a week that they weren't commuting. They could get out in the backyard. It's a solo activity. I'm not going to get COVID. I'm out in the sun. I'm going to get vitamin D, which is a good uh, thing for your health. All, and it was good for your head also. In a scary time, I could be focused on 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 you know on on the garden. So the industry said we went from 42 to 62 million gardeners. And <clears throat> my understanding from the industry is that post pandemic they expected to slide back down to maybe 58 million, but it's still a huge increase from the 42 pre pandemic. Now, interestingly, demographically pre pandemic, the bulk of the um, Gardeners, I think it was 70% were women 35 to 85, or what my wife has cautioned me are called mature women. Uh, But these new gardeners, apparently a large percentage of them are younger men. And according to my friends at Bonnie Plants, um, they were really interested in buying uh, peppers, hot peppers, I guess. So they've they've been called pepperheads, I think is the term that's been used. Um, so it's great to have men coming in. It's great to have younger people coming in. And I suspect once you start gardening, you may not stop because number one, the food is free. It's fun and nothing beats having dirt under your fingernails. And, um, I should also point out that the food that gardeners tend to grow is more often than not organic. I don't think many people are really putting artificial fertilizers or artificial pesticides on, on their plants. Um, I have actually long held to the idea that the best fertilizer for uh, a garden is the gardener's shadow. The gardener working over the, working on the garden, weeding, nourishing, taking care of the plants. It's the, uh, the, the, the work that the gardener does, and it's really good for the emotional and mental state of the gardener. It's great for the environment. Um, it's great for the community because now I got this extra food if I want that I can donate. Um, and I'll be honest, nothing beats grazing in your own garden. In the summertime, I do it all the time. I go out and I just pick this, I pick this, I pick this. It's great and it's fun. Um, and uh, it's a win-win-win all the way around. So Absolutely. the country, as horrific as the pandemic has been, it, one area we're coming out ahead is millions, millions more people will be outdoors doing something that's good for the environment, good for the community, and good for the country and the uh, environment. Yeah. Well, on this show, we celebrate win-win-wins. I'm a huge fan of the concept, and this is clearly one. I support it wholeheartedly. It does bring to mind another, a few environmental concerns that maybe you can speak to. So obviously, not all parts of the country are created equal in terms of your ability to garden. Some might be too dry or desert climates, or some might be too cold for many months of the year to grow anything. So knowing that there's such geographic variation in what people can grow natively in their backyard, and also knowing that places like California, where I'm currently based, are having these water shortages, and they're telling us things like, don't water 
so much in your lawn and your garden, and maybe they'll even mandate that in the next coming weeks. How do you feel about those? Should somebody be concerned about watering their garden every day, or is that peanuts compared to what any alternative might be? How do you feel about those types of things? I want to take a different spin on your question. Sure. You're in California. You guys are sucking the water out of the ground pretty badly. You also produce 25% of the produce consumed in America, and we're wasting half of it. We are throwing away 12.5% of California's water. The waste of food is contributing to the water problem California has. So instead of looking at it as, as I'm, if I'm watering a garden, am I wasting water? And I would say you're not. But I would say if you're throwing away uneaten strawberries or tomatoes or whatever that likely came from California, you are really messing things up there. So I want to start with that. Um, there are ways of growing things in a garden that use a great deal less water. Uh, first of all, mulching is, is is great. Just putting stuff around the plants that reduces the evaporation from the soil. Ideally, growing the things that like to grow where you are um, is, is the best all the way around. If you're trying to force something to grow in a place where it's not very happy growing, it'll be, it'll be a struggle. Um, many people are using um, drip irrigation where these little pipes are run through the garden, it just drips water very slowly, but you're not wasting it. Right off the bat, here's a simple way not to waste water when you're growing tomatoes. Don't water the tomato plant, water the ground. First of all, you water the plant, which is just the easy thing for people to do. Most of it evaporates, but you also increase the risk of a fungus. Focus on the ground, the water gets back in. Also do it at the right time of the day. The evening's a great time or late afternoon's a great time. You do it in the morning, most of the heat during the day is going to cause it all to go away. There are many different things that you can do to uh, responsibly grow um, uh, what you want. I would make one strong suggestion is don't grow anything invasive. I mean, you put mint in the ground, you're stuck with it. You put horseradish in the ground, you're stuck with it. I mean, they just spread like weeds. But um, in terms of the water, again, you had mentioned that I would start with stop wasting food. California needs your, needs its water. Um, but also from another environmental perspective, and I'm going to tell you something that I remember hearing and I can't find the documentation on. So um, take it for what it's worth. Years ago, somebody in a radio show had said that a strawberry has five calories. But if you move the strawberry from California to New York, it was a 25,000 calorie expenditure just to get it to New York. So eating food that is grown locally, whether it's a local farmer or you, is great for the environment because the cost, environmental cost of moving food around is, is ridiculous. I've, it's, I've been to uh, food pantries in Georgia where you go in and they had canned peaches on the shelves. And down yeah. the streets are trees brimming with peaches. Why? I mean, those, pe- those canned peaches, by the way, came from New Jersey. They had, so using the food you have in the community is, is I think, a really smart way to have fresh food, wholesome food, a lower in, uh, environmental impact. And um, it's, a win, again, a win-win-win um, um, all the way. And even, by the way, if you're in a place which is horrific for, 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 for gardening, maybe you live in a desolate desert area or whatever, you can still do a raised bed. Bring in soil, compost your kitchen scraps, which is a great way of making your own soil. You can do um, the the mulching with uh, newspapers, with other stuff. The water use doesn't have to be a whole lot. 
And at the same time, you get food that comes um, comes out of it. I'll add something else to the picture. Again, I live in northern New Jersey. I have two chickens, hens. And hens, have, raising chickens used to be very, very popular pre-World War II in America, and now it's reduced. But um, we use our chickens to deal with, well, I'll just say, we give them our kitchen scraps. Out the other end of the chicken either comes fertilizer or eggs. Fertilizer goes in the garden, eggs comes right back into the kitchen. So chickens become a really lovely way of keeping that cycle on your property and it's free. Um, and frankly, there's somebody good to talk to who won't talk back to you. Yeah, that's what we all need. Yeah. But, um, um, you know, it's part of a system. And by the way, you may, you don't think chickens are for, you know, if you're in a farm, it's perfectly legal to have chickens, hens in Manhattan. My own town, a rural town, we had a struggle for it, but it's, it, it's perfectly um, um, fine there. So water, I don't think is the issue. And you can use water judiciously. Um, you can capture rainwater if you want to. Um, you can reuse water when you boiled fruits and potatoes or whatever. I don't think that's really the issue. I think that growing your own food, if you can, and if you want to, is a really good way of benefiting the environment. That's a, such a great concept. And you mentioned misinformation and misinformation. And maybe some of the misinformation is for people on how to successfully grow. For example, for every person who has a surplus, there might be many more who are struggling or who have planted something and then it died and who don't know how to garden successfully. Uh, where do you think that people can go if they want to learn the right way? Just YouTube? Is there a source that they can find how they can most efficiently use their space to grow more food? There is a... Pro yeah, of course, YouTube is, of course, the Internet's a great resource. But the problem with the Internet is it is... Um, doesn't know where you are so you may well have a wonderful gardener who's in seattle talking about how they do something and you're in i don't know the um uh, south carolina different topography different soil different weather there is a program called the master gardener program it's run by the usda and there are a hundred i'm sorry hundred thousand master gardeners in america i'm one of them as a matter of fact, there's my master gardener pin. I didn't even plan on having that here. But anyway, um, we are trained by the uh, state university, in my case, Rutgers University in New Jersey, to become local experts on things like gardening, trees, lawns, etc. And we are we do this for ourselves. But as part of our training, we are obligated to put in volunteer time to help our community. So I would say that if you want to learn how to garden, if you need help with gardening, uh, start with contacting your extension office and this, every county has one and you can either call them up, you can visit, you can ask whatever and find out what resources, what materials they have um, um, to help you learn how to garden. I'm also going to say something else. Whether you garden with seeds and you know millions of us plant tomato seeds or whether you go to the store to buy seedlings at a certain point, and this is for all of us, at a certain point, uh, weeks or a month or two later, You've got a hole in your garden. Some animal got in there. Yeah. A plant just succumbed or whatever. Yep. That's a great time to go back to the store and to buy a seedling to fill in the gap. You don't have to wait for this for a, a tomato plant to come from a seed again. You yep. buy a tomato plant, you put it in the ground, and boom, you sort of left where you, you, you continue where you left off. 
Uh, I do that myself all the time. I, 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 whether I'm using seedlings or seeds, eventually I'm going back to buy more plants to fill in the gaps. I'd like to have as much um, growing as possible. Now, one of the reasons we gardeners grow too much, by the way, is twofold. One, come February and come March, when the catalogs start coming in the mail, we're really getting antsy from being holed up all winter long. We really want to plant. We really want to get out there. And we all inevitably plant too much. It's a, We buy too much, we plant too much. Uh, but the other factor is that you also deliberately overplant because you just don't know what's going to happen. Are you going to get a late freeze? Is some deer going to come in and not having read the same book that you did, that Irish Spring keeps deer away? Whatever it is, uh, you've got all these challenges. And it's, by the way, personally taught me to have an awful lot of respect and sympathy for farmers who go through the exact same challenge, but on a massive scale of having crops damaged because of whatever. And they, and in their case, their livelihood's in danger. Here, it's simply, you know, um, um, I'm losing some garden plants. Um, but Ample Harvest already enables the community to take advantage of that overplanting so it doesn't go to waste and it gets the people who um, are most needed. By the way, it's not just feeding people. I actually prefer the word nourishing people because I can give you potato chips. You'll have, your belly will be full, but you will not be... But realistically speaking, this country is exceedingly well-fed, but malnourished. Obesity is one of our biggest problems. Um, and commodity foods and processed foods are not great for you. But when fresh food comes into a pantry, it is the perfect thing for your nutrition. And so by lowering the, um, the health problems in this country, we're a lot better off. Uh, we did surveys in the past of gardeners across America, and then an economist from Cisco Systems uh, did an analysis of the data. And, and other than finding out the staggering amount of, of food wasted in gardens, 11 plus billion pounds, one number really stood out to me. All the garden produce in America, the surplus produce, if all of it were donated, the nation's health care costs would drop $58 billion a year. I'm not surprised. Reductions of diabetes. I mean, it's huge. So we, so the, the garden food donation improves the health and, frankly, by extension, the wealth of the nation. Yeah. And speaking of win-win-wins, it's fascinating because historically, like you said, the canned food drives all these things. The people who are the least privileged in this country and elsewhere, they're being fed garbage, Wonder Bread, high fructose corn syrup repackaged in any number of ways, plastic bottles, plastic containers, single-use, horrible things. Even when you shop in the grocery store, that's the case. But when you get this kind of farm fresh produce from your local community, you've just garden eliminated fr- so fresh. many of those things. Garden fresh. Garden please. fresh. Sorry. You've eliminated so many of those problems because it's not going to come in plastic. It's not going to be transported thousands of miles. It's not going to be refrigerated in a refrigerated truck or a refrigerated shipping container. It's just so the least privileged among us can, with your model, have access to the best food, not the worst food, which is pretty outstanding. Let me take, that, let me take it a step further. <clears throat> the, first of all, let me point out that the least privilege is the common nomenclature, the way people think about it. But tens of millions of people lost their jobs or were laid off or lost their businesses who were middle class people. They owned yeah. a restaurant. They owned a store, whatever it was. And they went to food pantries. The majority of people who go to a food pantry are not your chronically poor. The majority of people who go are people who have fallen on hard times. They are your neighbors. They may well be you. They fell on hard times. 
They're going to the food pantry for a couple of months until they get economically back up on their feet. They're back economically viable and they don't need a food pantry anymore. But keeping that in mind that those people are you and I, in addition to those who have chronic uh, economic problems, anybody who has a garden and is growing food, even if they're going to a food pantry to get bread and milk and cheese, can be donating the surplus from their garden to the food pantry while they're getting the bread and milk and cheese. This is a very rare opportunity for somebody who is in need to also be helping their neighbors in need, regardless of whether you are temporarily, again, a middle-class person who had a hard time, or you are really having chronic economic problems, but you got a green thumb in a backyard. You are not just asking for help, but you're actually being a source of help for the, your other neighbors asking for help, which I think is incredibly uplifting for the um, the the honor and the um, um, I'm looking for another word here the 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 self worth you feel as a citizen as a resident that you are helping while being helped. I love that. I think that's such a great great idea and a great concept and you're absolutely right one of my first guests on the show was the uh i think vice president of the la food bank and he was sharing statistics about the volume of people and how it increased during the pandemic and he said exactly what you described so many people who had jobs people in nice cars showing up to the food bank people say that's crazy and they say yeah well their life their circumstances changed a lot and i think their their throughput doubled or more. It was insane how many more people needed the service of the food bank during the pandemic's early months. Yeah, it got even worse than than many people are aware because the majority, remember I said 70%, 70% of food pantries are in house of worship? The majority of food pantries are run by your grandmother and your grandfather. They're volunteers in the community. During the pandemic, as much as they wanted to help, they didn't want to get COVID. So they stopped. They said, I can't come in. So the food pantry shut down. So that puts more burden on the Feeding America food banks. There are 200 plus across America where these long, miles long lines of cars that you saw on, on, in the news because the local community food pantry in their own community um, had to temporarily suspend operations. What we have just wrapped up, and we do this twice a year, ampleharvest.org, is we survey all the food pantries. Are you still open? Have you changed? Is there a new email, new phone number? And this particular time, we had a huge number of pantries that had shut down. Many are now reopening again, but there was a whole lot of upheaval in that particular system, um, simply because the people that we rely on in the community, retired people, didn't want to expose themselves to COVID. And there's there was a perfectly uh, reasonable um, thing that they had to do. It just made things far more worse for the um, uh, the communities as a whole. And I think the food banks across America did an amazing job of stepping up in very, very creative ways to this really difficult challenge. I think Feeding America and their network uh, deserve an awful lot of recognition for simply saying the situation sucks, but we're going to not fail the country. And they did a, a, a really good job. Um, we as But our focus is getting food not to a regional food bank, although many of them are on our network. We want to get them to the food pantry down the street because that's the closest and, and most immediate thing. Sounds great. So I want to take a little quick moment here, a little detour. I love everything about your mission. I support it as much as one possibly can. I think it's brilliant and I, it's just fantastic. 
I wanted to ask about the personal ramifications. So you've made this decision. You've gone the nonprofit route. You have a tech background. You've you know your way around computers and you know how to get in touch with important people about ideas. How do you feel about having built your life around this mission versus, say, another mission of namely, how can I make the most money I possibly can? Who cares how it's done? I had a good career. Uh, for years, I was a, a, a um, self-employed computer programmer, and I didn't mention this earlier, but for much of my adult life, I lived on a boat on the Hudson River in Manhattan. Wow. And so I did my programming work on, on, on that boat at 40 years at the 79th Street Boat Basin. Um, I then was brought in by a company called MCI Mail in 1986. MCI Mail was, the, along with EasyLink and ATT Mail, the, uh, one of the earlier email systems before you had the freely available uh, internet, and they made a good living there. Um, so I, I, I made a comfortable living. I made my savings. And having the advantage of my DNA not letting me waste, I nurtured the money. I saved it. I didn't waste things, and so I, I would. My wife and I were were, were comfortable, uh, not rich, but we were, were comfortable. Um, and um, I was planning when my when all that stuff was over to go biking across America. Um, I didn't have grand plans for stuff, um, but I also um, again my DNA but waste. I'm sorry. And um, I guess in some ways it is summed up by what a former board member said about me. She said I was the perfect nexus of geek and social responsibility. I didn't want to see things that could be fixed go unfixed. And this was something that I could fix. Um, I don't have any regrets about it. It's been an amazing experience. I have met the most amazing people from um, uh, two presidents, President Clinton and President Obama, Michelle Obama. Um, but I've also sat at a table. I've, been, I've, I've stood in the shadows of amazing people. I mean, I sat at a table with a gentleman from India who managed to keep one billion people from starving to death by how he bred, I think it was uh, um, um, some crop to grow only a foot tall, so it wouldn't be wiped out by monsoons. Uh, I mean, there, and there've been people um, who I, one woman who I met at a White House conference was an amazing, is an amazing woman who uh, was raising two kids in her city in Philly and struggling about the food and talking about it. And she's been, she was just been named a glo global citizen. I get to be with these people. Who else would I say? Um, and it's it's not that I'm, this is not a name dropping thing. It's I get to be in the presence of really amazing people. Um, I also really, really enjoy talking, which you probably figured that out. But That's I enjoy important giving in your line of work, yeah. <laughs> I enjoy giving talks and speeches. And right. even when I've traveled around the country to give um, uh, keynote speeches and panel talks, I donated um, a colloquium to a local college or university. So I'll give you an example. I went to years ago to give a, a public talk in Salt Lake City. 
And I then gave a talk, I think it was at the Salt Lake City Community College. And I said, bring me a bunch of students. And I polled them. I said, what do you want to do to make the world better? Save the whales, climate change, gender equality. So I wanted to know what they were all thinking. And then I gave them, I took them on my journey through ampleharvest.org, not to try to convince about donating garden produce. These, this is what I learned along the way. These were the successes. These were the mistakes. And trying to tailor it to each of them in terms of what they want to do to give them a bit of my experience and expertise to help move them along on the path that they want to do. I love that. Plus, I like going to schools where I don't have homework due. Um, mm, yeah. And so these types of talking with people, I talk to students regularly who are doing assignments on food waste or, st- or stuff like that. Um, it has been an amazing um, experience and it continues to be so. This project we're starting with um, uh, Native American communities across the country. I just came away um, last week from a, a the Native American nutrition conference outside of Minneapolis, where I was in a room with 500 people of all nations from uh, Native Americans to learn about their values, their traditions, the important things that uh, of the, the subtleties in the in, in language and, and things like that to better build uh, ample harvest in, in Indian country to meet the needs of this community. But I get to see how they've lived and what's important to them, what their elders spoke about, what the values are, things I would otherwise have never had a chance to experience um, um, otherwise. We'll give you one other example. When I was a kid, a kid when I was in high school, I was fascinated by, um, oh my God, my name just blanked. It's terrible. The gentleman who came up with all the invent all the ways to use peanuts. Oh, um, George Washington Carver. I'll start that over again. Thank you. That's the part you want to cut. Um, sure. the, when, when, uh, in high school, I loved George Washington Carver. He was a guy who came up with hundreds of ways to use peanuts and he was a brilliant, brilliant man, uh, came out of the horrific experience of the slavery world and had this brilliant mind. And then I got invited to give the keynote at the George Washington Carver Centennial in no. New Orleans. Wow. Well, that's an so, honor and a half. Yeah, and it was random. It wasn't like I said, hey, I love this this man. Can you bring me in? They called me up and they said, we'd like you to come and talk. And I said, Yes. Um, the pandemic has made it difficult to get out and do talks with people because for obvious reasons, I did Zoom things. That's not as engaging. Last September, I did my first in-person talk in Virginia since the pandemic started. And before I started the talk, I simply walked the length of the room and back. I just wanted to see people in 3D. Right. Just see the back of a head for once. And it was really nice to um, not see, not have a mute button in front of somebody, not to see a camera turned off, and to be able to read people's faces and answer their questions in real time and stay after and answer questions. This is something that I really like doing. There are other people in the food waste space who are like that, where that's that give and take. And the point of it is it's not so much me telling them what they can be doing, but I know I'm very often telling them that, hey, if, if, if an aging geek like me who wasn't really good in school, not a millionaire, not a rock star, <clears throat> can do this. Why can't you? What is it that you want to do that has that you thought, oh, I can't do because I'm only me? And um, um, I really think the whole world is full of people who are only me's. None of us are born 
Einstein's, well, except for Einstein, um, the rest of us just have to have a, you don't even need a plan. You need a passion. Act on it. And I've said this when I've spoken to students. Even if you fail half the time, you've still moved the needle forward. And that's a really, really uh, important thing that you don't have to be completely successful to still be a success. And too many people keep on thinking that if I'm not perfect, if I don't succeed, <laughs> move the needle forward. And um, that's really the, so when you're donating garden produce, you don't need a truckload of food. If you've got a handful of tomatoes, it'll be commingled with the other hundreds of handfuls of tomatoes and the needle gets moved forward. Your contribution isn't small enough to be worthless and nor are you. I think there's a really valuable um, um, uh, lessons in, in life. Um, I agree. I, I think also, and I should point this out, that I'm a long distance biker. And the bike club I belong to in New Jersey, they have a wonderful saying that only half the hills are up. And I think when you look at a problem and you're looking at a solution, yeah, there are going to be all sorts of obstacles and challenges and difficulties and stuff. But there's an awful lot of successes that come out of it, too. And so just go into it. Don't look at the top of the hill. Just keep on climbing every 10 feet. That's how you get to the top of the hill. Um, I think anybody can take on any problem that they want in whatever space it is. And and the only thing you can't do is not do anything. Then nothing gets better. Well, that was a string of some of the wisest words I've ever heard. I think any piece of the last minute and a half there is gold for any listener, any viewer, and certainly also for myself. Um, I really appreciate you. I know we're at the close of our allotted time here. I just want to say I'm very grateful that you have chosen this path with your life. I'm glad that it has brought you those kinds of crazy places. It's well-deserved. And I think you, if not at the beginning of your journey necessarily, you've become an exceptional person now by virtue of what you have done. And I think when you cross the age of 70, I think you're allowed to give yourself <laughs> at least that. So I appreciate what you're doing. I hope, I hope I can be a small part of spreading the message and that more people get the idea of, Hey, I can garden. Hey, I can donate. And like you said, nobody and no gift is too small to be worthless. What a yeah. beautiful phrase that is. I appreciate that. By the way, in terms of crazy places to go, yeah, a pop-up just came on my screen. When you and I are done, I'm on a White House conference call on hunger and nutrition as part of the bi-weekly series the White House is running, leading up to a hunger conference that will be taking place there in September. So I'm back to you. You're so back, back. back to back between you and, <laughs> the, White and, and, well, then, and the White House. Well, I shan't keep them waiting. I'll just express my gratitude once more. And I will say thank you so much. Enjoy your next meeting. We'll be in touch. And I appreciate you. And I really appreciate you taking the time. And I'll, I'll, I'll reach out shortly. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And again, everybody, if you're a gardener, donate. If you want to help ampleharvest.org, we also would love and appreciate your support. Thank you. This was a great talk and um, looking forward to chatting with you down the road. Me too. Enjoy your meeting. Thank you once more and I'll be talking to you soon. And with that, the podcast is uh, over. Over.